Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. You are listening to Radical Philosophy on Radio 3CR, 8.55 a.m. I am Professor Jane Caputi. I teach at Florida Atlantic University in the United States, and I teach in a program for women, gender, and sexuality studies. Like some food for thought? Tune in to Radical Philosophy with discussions on freedom, happiness, knowledge, evil, and rational argument. With words from Midgley, Caputi, Adams, Stewart, Wolf, and Hagen Gruber. Let's get radical about philosophy. We do not discuss the members of our family to their faces. Ivy Compton Bennett, a house and its head, 1935. Welcome to Radical Philosophy. I'm your host, Beth Matthews. And I'm speaking to Professor Samantha Brennan about family. Welcome to the program. Thank you. Now, could you just give us a little bit of background about yourself? Yeah, I'm a philosopher. I did my PhD in Chicago, but I'm currently at Western University, which is in London, Ontario, Canada. I teach in the Department of Women's Studies and Feminist Research, but I supervise graduate students in philosophy and in women's studies and in political science. What would your definition of family be? I don't really think I have a fixed definition. And there's a legal definition of family and kind of a moral definition of family or a social definition of family. But I think about families as people who love and care for one another in relations of interdependence. And what makes something a family-like relationship is, I think, interdependence, the idea that these are people you can count on who, in your day-to-day life, who maybe you live with or you did live with, you have history with. Often there's a biological tie, but there needn't be a biological tie. Families can be formed through marriage or through adoption. So there's a wide range of different kinds of families. And I'm interested in kind of the <laughs> why we... Uh, why we're so fussy about who's family and who's not. Why? So if you want to know what my sexual orientation is, you just ask me and I get to say for myself. Or if you want to know, uh, increasingly think if you want to know what gender I am, you just ask me and I tell you. But if you want to know who my family are, there's this idea that there's something else other there besides the me getting to tell you who I think of as family. Lots of people think, there's some kind of external set of rules about who counts as family and who doesn't. And that's kind of what I'm interested in, kind of this sense of who is family and who isn't and, and why we care about that. Now, that's a really good point because, yeah, you do you do state about your, your sexuality or your gender or other things in your life, but it does seem to be up to other people to judge whether who you're including in your family is actually your family because a lot of people I know, and including myself, I include non-human animals in my family. They're very much right. a part of my family. Right. They're family members, right. I think about, I've got a friend who 
was in a had children in a in a marriage that was a bad marriage, and the marriage ended, and so she had children and she was a single parent, and then she asked her be- her best friend was a gay man, who had always wanted to have children, and she asked if he would be interested in co-parenting the children, and not just kind of helping out occasionally, but like full on co-parenting and being a dad, and so these children were raised with him as their dad. Later, she met somebody, met a, met a, a man who she fell in love with, and, and he became her partner and became also a dad to the kids. So the kids grew up with two fathers, neither of whom was their biological father. And then that family is kind of vexed with this question about who counts for legal purposes and who, morally speaking, ethically speaking, they're both, you know, it's a, it's a three-parent family. You know, neither of whom, neither of the dads is a biological parent, but they're both the fathers. Yeah, that's a that's a really good point. I remember when I was at playgroup with my daughter, um, a friend of mine there. She had a young daughter, and she'd never lived with the father of her daughter. And right. she said how her parents weren't very happy about it. They said, "Well, what good is he?" You know, when he doesn't live with you. and uh, But in the end, you know, we all sort of ended up breaking up with the fathers or the fathers just weren't very good. And in the end, he turned out to be the best father. And I think so he that... he kept an active role. That's... And mm-hmm. not being there full time, perhaps that was a benefit. Right. Really. Right. But... I think there's lots of lots of parental relationships that are like that. And in Canada, at least, we have this fixation with thinking you can have you can have zero, one, or two parents, but legally speaking, you can't have more than two. And we have lots of families around that, you know, where a kid whose parents split up and then they parents re-partner, and the kid will say, you know, I've got four parents. And from the child's point of view, I think that's right often. There are more than two parents. I'm not sure why we're so bothered at limiting children who have more than, you know, more than two parents when there are lots of children who don't have enough parents. That seems to me to be the more urgent issue rather than uh, kind of policing the families who have multiple parents. That's very true. I was very close to my next-door neighbours when I was a child and I would really count them as my parents as well because they had so much to do with my upbringing and really shaped who, who I've become today. And, right. you know, I'm sure I wouldn't be the person I am today if it, if it wasn't for them um, really parenting me until I was seven and then people need those sorts of connections. I mean, it's not really like it was when you'd be very close to your next-door neighbours because everybody's out working now. But to, to have right. that connection to other people, what, what's that saying? It, it takes a village to raise a child. Right. Yeah. Or aunts and uncles. Aunts and uncles are great examples of, uh, you know, non-parental roles that are often pretty significant in a child's life. My sister-in-law lived, uh, when my children were little, lived a few blocks away from us. And she was kind of the first person that my children were running away from home. She was the person they'd run away from home to. And, you know, she didn't have children. And so this idea that she seemed to them kind of not quite an adult in some ways, but not in others. And she was the person who you could watch movies with late at night, who would paint your toenails and let you eat potato chips for dinner if you needed to. I mean, she was the person you ran away to for 
something less, you know, uh, yeah. less, you know, less, less rule governed than, than the family at home. So, what was it that inspired you to study the family? I was, I'm a, so I'm a, uh, I worked, a philosopher who worked on theories of rights. So my original doctoral dissertation was on uh, theories of rights that are overridable. I'm interested in the question of non-absolute conceptions of rights. And one of the claims I made there was that that conception of rights is useful for thinking about family relationships where an absolute conception of rights isn't going to fit. And so I was sort of thinking about that. And then at the same time, in my first few years as an academic, I became a foster parent. And foster parents, <laughs> um, I had to undergo training to be a foster parent, which is interesting, so training and licensing. I had to be no training and licensing to be a biological parent, <laughs> but lots of training and licensing to be a foster parent. And a lot of the rules that uh, I had to agree to if I had children in my care through the foster care system seemed to me to be really good rules, but what was interesting was that they were only rules that applied to foster children. So there were things that, for example, I couldn't change a child's name without their permission, but it turned out I can change the name of my biological children without their permission, and that seems to me to be ridiculous in the case of children who are, you know, even above five or six, you might want them to have a say or at least agree in their new name. So there are a lot of things I couldn't smoke around them, for example, the children in foster care. And I think probably you shouldn't smoke around children who are your biological children either. So that got me thinking about why this emphasis on biological children, which are treated more like property, you can do whatever you want with them, versus children you have through adoption or foster care uh, who come into your life differently. There are all these standards and hoops you have to jump, but we don't have any parental licensing for biological children. So that's kind of where I started. I started thinking about children's rights and parents' rights and how those things interact. And it was really foster parenting that was the thing that got me started thinking about it. And from there, thinking about what rights parents have, what rights children have, and a bunch of applied questions about that. So I wrote about whether or not parents have the right to smoke around children and what the risks are for children's health. But I've also written about uh, children, children's lives and the good things in their lives and how parents have obligations to not just not hurt children but also to promote the goods of childhood. So that's kind of how I got started thinking about it. And it just seems to me there's a really rich area of research and there's lots of interesting questions, especially with changes in the family. You're listening to Radical Philosophy on Radio 3CR, 8.55 on your AM dial, and I'm speaking to Professor Samantha Brennan about family. So how has the structure of the family changed over time? I don't know about Australia, but in Canada, now we're at a point where fewer than 50% of families look like the traditional nuclear family that we hold up as an ideal. So fewer than 50% of families are one mom, one dad, uh, with some smallish number of children living by themselves. And we've got a whole bunch of different directions in which the change is coming. So there are more single people, for sure. Some of those single people have children, so that's one change. Uh, we also have had, for the last 10 years now, same-sex marriage in Canada, and lots of those families have children. 
And we have, in addition, a lot of um, extended family relationships being significant and people living in multi-generational family homes. So you can see the this idea of one man, one woman who love each other and have sex and have kids. That's occupying less and less of the, the, the space in which families exist. And more and more people are coming to family in, in different ways. So either sort of intentionally seeking out reproductive technology or seeking out involving other people in parental relationships. And they're not all, people tend to bemoan this as the family falling apart. But actually some of these alternative families are thriving, supportive, happy. The data on kids in, uh, who are the, who are kids in, in same-sex parent families, they're thriving. They're doing incredibly well. And so I don't think, I mean, I don't, I don't, certainly don't think it's anything bad about what, the family is changing. Uh, there are a lot of different types of family relationships. And I think they're largely, largely for the better. I mean, people aren't trapped in, people aren't trapped in bad marriages. People aren't having children because they feel they have to have children. More and more, I think children are chosen, and people come to be parents in a whole bunch of different ways. So I'm, I'm kind of fascinated in the, in the changes, and all the different ways in which those changes are happening. You know, adoption, reproductive technology, same-sex marriage. And then again, also the extended family relationships, multiple generations living in one house, and single people. So those are all the kind of different kind of changes, uh, but those are all, all families, I think. It's interesting, like when you've mentioned the, the same-sex couples having children, well, it sort of takes a bit of planning to have a child, and I think that if you're in a same-sex relationship, you've really got to think about... Our, first of all, how you're going to have a child, but also right. whether you really want to have a child, whether you can cope with a child and the commitment of having a child, whereas people in heterosexual relationships, I mean, there, there's always children that sort of just come along by accident and then that, that sort of right. brings up other issues. Right, children, right. Yes, that's right. right. And uh, sometimes I think that people have children without even giving it much consideration because it just, just happens or they just don't think about it. But obviously children that come from same-sex families, they're, they're chosen and they're wanted and they've, they've had to plan for them. So it would sort of go along right. with that, right. that they would be better cared for. Right. They're intentional. These families are all intentional. They're all, how are we going to make this happen? What are we going to do? Are we going to involve a friend of the family? Or are we going to use a sperm bank? Are we going to... I have a friend who's in a same-sex relationship who wanted a second child, and her partner wasn't sure if she wanted a second child. And, you know, and she would say, well, I can't just accidentally, you know, I can't accidentally <laughs> say, you know, I, I just fell, I just dropped by the sperm bank and fell in. You know, you have to get agreement. You have to... You know, it doesn't, it's not going to happen by default. It's going to require lots of conversation and decision. And they did have a second child. But, right, for children who are the product of that kind of intentional family making and that kind of conversation and commitment. And often, you know, community. Um, often lots of people are involved in, in, in decisions about having children. So the, fam- the child is automatically 
uh, you know, better supported and, and certainly welcome. Do you think there's more negatives than positives associated with the family? I see more positive than negative, but what you need are... Where the negative comes about is, I think, where you have no social support network that's not family. So you need, in order for the family to be more positive than negative, I think you need good exit routes for people who want to leave, and you need good social support for people who want to exit a family. Because if your only choice is leaving and there's nothing there for you, then I think that's a a pretty horrible sort of thing when people stay in People stay in, in, in our neighbor to the south in the United States, people will stay in family relationships in order to continue their health care, for example. Because if my partner has benefits with health care and I don't, I might stay in that relationship because I want, I want health insurance. So in Canada, we don't worry about that, but there are still ways in which there are certain things that families are expected to do, and if you don't have a family, it can be hard to arrange those things. So I think the family is more positive uh, than negative. I think these are the blossoming of different forms of the family, and the family playing a different role has been a good thing. But I still see a danger if we think that all the, if we, aren't, if we don't think we need so if we don't think the government has any responsibility, if we think it's all going to be the family, then I think it's very difficult. I think it can become a bad thing where people end up staying in family relationships that they ought to leave because the family is the only place to get certain kinds of benefits. So that's my worry about the family, which is, mm. you know, the government sort of privatizing care and it ha- making it happen in families. So we have a bit of a debate here about child care and a bit of a some people on the right politically thinking that child care should happen you know at home in the family and others thinking that we do well with you know excellent workplace daycare and that's not really about pro-family or not pro-family but it's about this question of where who does the work and where the benefits come from and so I sometimes think we expect too much from the family and it can't live up to everything we expect it to do. Yes, that's right. And especially, as you pointed out, about that economic dependent upon another person because the government has decided to call you a family because of marriage or or whatever because there has been changes in Australia and same-sex couples who live together as far as right. Social Security Centrelink are concerned are treated like a heterosexual couple who are living together. So, right. um, for, for example, if, if one person um, loses their employment, the other person is just expected to support them financially if they're living together. So they're sort of being, same-sex couples are being pushed into the same economic dependency as heterosexual couples. And uh, as you mentioned before, there's there's a lot of bad marriages out there where particularly where women stay with men because they're financially dependent upon them. So by implementing these changes, they're forcing same-sex couples into the same oppressive financial situation. Right. No, I think that's an interesting point. The question of 
yeah, what, what, what do we want families to do and, uh, and who's expecting them to do it and what do we do for people who don't have that kind of, who, who don't have that kind of situation. Yeah, so I, I just think that you're an individual. I mean, just because you live with someone and you happen to have sex with them occasionally, you shouldn't actually be financially penalised for that. Which really, when you when you think about it, it's a it's a ridiculous situation. Live- right, we have different laws, province to province, about what happens with common law relationships, and some in some provinces treat common law relationships. So some provinces, common law relationships have no status. You may as well just be roommates. But in other ones, <laughs> um, if you're in a marriage-like relationship and living with someone, you are, for the purposes of law, thought to be their spouse. And that takes on all sorts of uh, responsibilities and entitlements that you haven't intentionally signed up for. So I think it, you, you, people want some status for these for non but maybe we have to register them. Maybe they just shouldn't happen to have to happen automatically just as a result of living with somebody. So, yeah, it's interesting how it varies from country to country and you know, province to province, as you were saying. Could you describe what you think the family of the future might be like? Well, I'm interested in thinking about... I'm not sure this will be the family of the future, although I think it would it has certain advantages, which is thinking of a family as centered around children rather than romantic marriage. So right now we have this vision of the family where the family is... Romantic love begins the family, and then we we have then maybe you have children, and then I think that's a lot of pressure on, on romantic love. So I'm actually interested in thinking about relationships of dependence being more significant than the romantic love part of the equation. I think you see that with, imagine two sisters who live together and take, who are in an interdependent relationship, and their family, and they have, and then a married couple would have certain benefits, but the two sisters, they wouldn't. And I think we ought to be open to lots of different ways that people live their lives. And so what I'm imagining is the sort of the family of the future won't be so marriage-based, and that marriage will become less significant and not kind of the linchpin of the family. So that's kind of my worry, and it's my hope for the future that we think about households, interdependent relationships, and the kind of agreements we want to strike to make family, chosen family relationships, rather than this idea of kind of especially... (laughs) The model is... Two, the, the standard old-fashioned model is, you know, two people, one male, one female, fall in love and start a family. That's, the family is so much richer than that and so different than that, and so I'm interested in kind of opening up talk of family to a kind of a broader range of relationships. The world will go in the, <laughs> in the direction I'd like it to go or not, I don't know, but that's, uh, that's what I'd like to see happen. Yeah, I think there's a... I think terminology is quite powerful as well because as soon as you say this is my partner or my child, you're implying ownership over them and especially how you're speaking about the rights of the child rather than just saying uh, children that live with me. 
or somebody who lives with me who I have a strong connection to and yeah you're sort of getting back to that ownership over children and I mean I know in the states there's been a couple of cases of children divorcing their parents and people have been absolutely shocked but I think they're well within their rights to do that right right yeah no children the only option in the past children have had is to run away often enough that they become that the family becomes unmanageable and then the children are taken away by social services but you might think you might want to do that some other way than <laughs> little people running away right there may be some way for children to find there may be other family members they would rather live with for example right i really don't think that the rights of the children sort of taken into consideration very often either i mean there's there's been cases um, in australia of when parents biological parents break up that the children are actually forced to see one of the parents and it's against their wishes but the court sort of orders they must go and see them and they must have a reasonable relationship with them and I think well the child's chosen not to do that they should have the right to to do that and I suppose it's one thing that's been overlooked with families is the the right of the child isn't it? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And children often get, end up being shipped back and forth between households, and they may not, and that may not be the best for the thing for neither. I mean, my favorite decision locally that happened was a judge who decided that, in the case of parents who split up, he said because they were fighting a lot, and he thought the right answer was for the kids to keep the kids could leave, keep living in the house, and the parents could come and go. <laughs> um, so in the family house, the kids stay in this house. And mom and dad can uh, take turns staying in the family house, but these kids are no longer going to be forced to keep going back and forth between households because these parents were doing such a bad job of that and it's clearly not in the best interest of the kids. Oh, I thought that was an interesting decision. Oh, it's absolutely brilliant. Are. I mean, they're, they're um, yeah. putting, the, putting the children before the parents and, I mean, I, I think the children have every right to be put before the parents and to, to have that stability of... Uh, have a stable house when you when you're growing up. So, so do you have any future study plans? I'm interested in thinking about well, two things. So, non non parental family. So, the significance of family relationships other than the parent. So, we have this thing where we have parental relationships have kind of full authority over children. And everybody else has nothing, so it's kind of either either fully on or fully off. The only people who have rights are parents, and they have all the rights. But there's all sorts of other family relationships that are significant and important. The one that's in the news all the time are grandparents. So grandparents often get the short end of the stick when parents have, so if one parent um, loses custody or visitation of their children, those grandparents on that side of the family may not have access to the child. But they may have a very great, they may have a really good relationship with the child, and so grandparents' rights are kind of in kind of in the air a little bit, thinking about how to get grandparents access to children. But also, not just grandparents, but also aunts and uncles. I think aunt and uncle relationships are often pretty important for children, but we don't really we don't really think about them. So I'm kind of interested in the extended family that aren't parental roles, like cousins, like aunts and uncles, like grandparents, 
and thinking about what shapes those relationships take and what kind of rights and responsibilities attach to those relationships. That's kind of what I'm interested in now. Well, thanks very much for coming onto the program today. Thank you for having me. And I've been speaking to Professor Samantha Brennan about family. Well, that's all we have time for today. Thank you for listening and hope you've been given plenty of food for thought. Thank you.